Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches podcast. I am here with the author of Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy, James Whitaker. What's going on, James? All's good, Jake. How are you, my man? Fantastic. And uh, we, we've just been talking about this, uh, but you have a, let's see, what date is it? You have a 13-year-old baby, 13-day-old baby at home right now, right? Going on 13, I'm sure. Yeah, it's okay. a super exciting baby number one. But uh, yeah, the, the mum and I are still very much adjusting to parenting. But uh, I tell you what, just one minute with your newborn is just the most precious gift in the world. It really is. It really is. You know, we talk all about business and we talk all about, you know, building legacy and, and building wealth and doing all those kinds of things. But for those of you who don't have children, maybe won't resonate with this, but for everyone who does, it just makes sense. You know, just taking care of your child and getting to learn to grow and to, to love your child. It's just nothing else matters more than that. That's so true. And I'm, the thing I'm most looking forward to about having children, as I've seen with my nephews and nieces, I, I hear a lot of parents, they want to dictate to the child around how the world is. But I just love asking questions and just listening to what the kids say. I would much rather them tell me about the world so I can learn something rather than the other way around. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. I, I, I think a lot about personal development and children and, and um, how important it is to look at things differently, like you just said. Though one thing that has uh, really scared me about being a parent is how much of the <laughs> how much of the limiting beliefs come from your parents? And I go, how, how am I? Not, I'm just going to screw them up anyway. I know it's going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. But I think just being able to raise a child, yeah, just to, to think as freely as they can. And they don't have the advantages and disadvantages that I was able to have and you were able to have. So yeah. our children have to uh, find their own way in this, what can be a very, very big, scary world. So I guess just providing without sounding too cheesy, just that unconditional love for them, no matter, I don't know, I always want to make sure there's that very strong element of trust, irrespective of what they've done or what circumstances they find themselves in. They can always you know, keep us in the loop as parents so we can not bail them out, but help them make the right decisions to bail themselves out so they can grow and learn from the experience. Yeah. And, and we won't make this whole thing a parenting podcast, but, uh, I do think about this a lot, you know, kids growing up with those kind of beliefs and I want my son and my future children to have those beliefs moving forward that they can do anything. And I, you know, my son now is starting to speak and he says things like, I have him say things like I can do anything and he repeats it back to me. Does he really understand that? Not really. I don't think he understands what that means yet, but there will come a day where that's ingrained in him. I say to him every night, Daddy loves you and always will, no matter what. And he says those things back to me. And, and I don't know, like I said, does he really know what that means now? No, but I want those things ingrained in him um, because we know in personal development how much that stuff can affect us as adults to be able to really know that we are unconditionally loved. So true. I've been doing the exact same thing. And as you said, she's literally like 12 days old, but... It's, uh, it's nice, even though obviously she can't verbalize it and I'm quite certain can't understand it. When you see a, you know, a person, whether they're 12 days old or, or 80 years old, it's when you can see them respond in some way, whether it's eye contact or speech or touch or whatever it might be, I don't know. It, it sounds like uh, sometimes you feel like you're getting a response, but just being able to say it and hopefully that they're creating that loop in their mind that, as you said, they can do anything rather than 
uh, fall victim to what happens in the future because that would kill me if I had a child who felt like they had everything handed to them or that they were a victim rather than uh, being able to take charge of any circumstances they found themselves in. Yeah, and I think that that stuff really does affect really does affect these children, even though at a young age, do they, do they have that? Do they understand it now? Not really, but these things, they, they just, they make an effect right away. You know, we know the studies of the, of the water and the ice crystals and what you're saying. Do you know the study I'm talking about where they say, okay, so there's, there's a study where they put, it was either water or ice. I can't remember. Someone will probably comment on the, on the comments of this and say, well, it was this, but uh, it was just, Japanese guy and he did this test it was either of water or it was of ice I can't remember which one it was and he this is all documented all proven it's been tested multiple times all with the same result he took two different samples exactly the same one of them he would say positive affirmations to love light joy the other one he would say things like i hate you and you're awful and you know all those kinds of things and just the way these two different samples looked underneath the microscope where the the one where it was positive affirmations just had these beautiful designs and this this one with all the negative and hate just had just ugly looking nasty just different colors all sorts of crazy things to it and the only difference was the energy that was put towards it. That yeah, was it. We actually had a scientist. Now, I'm sorry. Now, I, I'm very familiar with this. We had a scientist prove this in the movie Think and Grow Rich: The Legacy to scientifically prove that thoughts become things. So, I'm sure there are many scientists that have proven this now, mm-hmm. uh, which is amazing for all the people out there who think that you know thoughts are, are meaningless and don't lead to actions and subconscious mind and everything like that to have it scientifically proven that positive thoughts creates positive outcomes at the, at the cell level is, uh, is pretty amazing. So we use a scientist in, uh, in Europe who was amazing, but, uh, it's so important being able to think about like, uh, like this is my office behind me. You see, uh, I just mentioned this at a speech the other week, like surrounding yourself with, uh, inspiration. So there's a, yeah. Those who are listening and not watching this podcast right now, I've got a big print in the background that says action, the difference between having and wanting. And all my favorite books are up there in the corner. But if you're looking around your apartment or your house where you live and you've got all this junk just lying around everywhere, and if those things don't spark joy in you, then why would you actually keep them around? Because that is what's going to lead to negative thoughts. And whether it's negative music that you're listening to or negative people that you're hanging around, you can never hang around negative people and expect a positive outcome. Uh, so yes, it is so important. The thoughts that come into your head and what you do with them. Yeah. And I think about that with, with a child. I mean, of course, if that can just happen in general, if we can, you know, like the movie inception, if we can make these thoughts, things that uh, are ingrained in them, almost as if they believe that they came up with the thought, then how much more is that going to work? Good reference. I love it. Good movie too. <laughs> Great movie. So let's jump into into your project here, Thinking Grow Rich: The Legacy. How did you get involved with this? You know, there's there's millions of people who love Napoleon's Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. How did you get involved with this book and with the project and with the foundation? Well, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. For those who don't uh, aren't familiar with the book, although it's the number one best selling self help book of all time, uh, it sold more than 120 million copies around the world since it was released in 1937, and still uh, sells so well today. It is a prolific, uh, prolifically on these bestseller lists all around the world, and has changed every single industry on earth in the last 82 years since it's been released. 
So for the very first time, the Napoleon Hill Foundation, who have done an amazing job at keeping the legacy alive by making the materials available in everything from prisons and, and schools and universities and sporting teams and everything like that, this was the very first time they had granted the rights to making a film about Think and Grow Rich. So I had the opportunity to meet the filmmakers in Santa Monica and they just said, hey, we'd love your energy. Tell us how you can be involved in the project. And I pretty much just asked them, have you got a book coming out with this, uh, with this film? And they said yes, but they were very vague on the details. And basically I pitched them a concept and said, if I was you, this is what I would do. There are 13 principles of Think and Grow Rich take two or three contemporary icons and tell their stories because people these days just don't naturally identify as much with people like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and Andrew Carnegie. And at the start of each of those chapters, provide a brief overview of the principle in question in a modern context. So I offered that to them without the ex expectation of anything in return, but it was a good lesson for me about the I guess the law of attraction, like unconditionally adding value to others, which means without expecting anything in return and good things will come back to you. And that is how I came on board as author of the book and co-executive producer of the film. So it's been a, a pretty amazing experience since then. Well, what's pretty amazing about that is that sounds very similar to, I can't remember if it was the first or the second chapter. I think it was the first chapter of the original book where um, I forget his name, but he went out to Orange, New Jersey, just for the purpose of, for the purpose of partner. Well, Barnes, that was his Edward, name. Edward C. Barnes for Thomas. Yeah, Edison. Barnes went to go and 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 partner with the inventor, and he went there with nothing. Now he certainly had more of an intention than you did, but it was almost like proving the principles of the book just by doing it. And you just said, well, okay, I'm going to give value and see what happens. And it's really incredible what does happen. I've seen that over and over and over again in my life that I just, when I give value to anyone at any level, it comes back. It's so true. I think that law of karma is about one of the most fundamental uh, things in, in life. People who are negative think everyone is out to get them and they're the ones who are most paranoid. But if you actually look at the world as the glass half full type of mentality is, you know, I've really enjoyed catching up with you since we first met earlier in the year and just being able to hang around with like-minded people and give them as much value as you can. Uh, that is what paves the way for everything good to come into your life. And that has been what has underpinned any success that I have enjoyed uh, to this point. It's purely through that increasingly becoming a person of value while adding more and more value to people unconditionally. Because when you do that, you're adding value to people who are higher and higher up the food chain as you start to become more skilled and have more to offer. And once you get those people excited in you and everything you're doing, that's when you just knock it out of the park and you really hit that uh, fierce trajectory that, that previously you would not have had. What do you think is different between those who have success in, let's say, giving and, and those who don't? Because I hear some people say, you know, I've, I've been doing this. I've been doing the things. I've been doing all the things that you've told me to do or whoever's told me to do, but it hasn't worked. What do you think is different between those where it just always seems to work and those that it always seems not to? There's a lot to that and I'll try and keep my answer to less than, uh, less than one year because I, I could speak for a long time on this. It's, it's such a great question. Uh, it seems like for most people, they're not clear on who they are and they're not clear on where they want to go. And there's a kid I've been doing mentoring for since he was uh, in high school. He was a school captain of a high school that had 93% of families living in poverty. 
So a fairly disadvantaged school, but a great young kid who was school captain. So we were doing mentoring for him and he's in his early 20s now and he's got a successful career in property. And he's been reading my book and with his little mastermind group of about eight people. And he phoned me the other day and he said, uh, we're having tr- everything's going great, but we're having trouble achieving these goals. And I said, well, tell me about one of your goals. And he said, well, I want to have a million dollars in the bank by the time I'm 30. And I said, well, how did you come up with that goal? Or why is that important to you? And he said, I don't know. It's like, if you don't understand, you can't just have some goal that you just pluck out of the air. I told him about one of my goals. I just opened up my success plan. And the one that I saw, it was around uh, reading cookbooks for me this year. And he's like, well, that's a funny goal. And I said, yeah, my wife is just, when we had this talk, it was before the baby was born. I said, my wife is about to have a baby and she works very, very hard herself. So in a corporate job. So when she comes home, I want to be able to make very healthy meals quickly for her and the baby for our health. It's going to make both of us more productive. It's going to put less pressure on our relationship and it's going to set a strong example for a human that we are about to bring into the world. And I thought, what, what more emotionally charged goal could I have than that? So that's something that I take so seriously. And he was like, wow, now I get it. Like having these things that are emotionally charged or people who think they've set these goals, but they're not willing to think about the sacrifices that they need to make each day that's going to get there. So those two things, emotionally charged and what sacrifices are you going to make? They're very, very important. And then you need to reinforce all that with the right system. So I get people to map out the success plan that I have available for anyone. Just email me if you want a copy of this thing and I'll send it to you. And you write down your perfect destination in all areas of your life, travel, uh, relationships, experiences, literally everything. And then you backtrack that five years, three years, one year and 90 days. And then you write those 90 day goals. You literally embed them into your calendar. So you don't need to worry about the future outcomes. All you need to do is focus on winning the day, which is the actions that you're going to take today, because that is all you need to focus on. So you no longer have that stress and that worry and that anxiety of where your future is going to end up. Because if you take the right actions today, your future is going to look after itself. And then every 90 days, you have another calendar note that goes off to say, start the whole process all over again. So generally, that is why people fail because they don't have the right systems or they're not emotionally charged. They're not figuring out uh, what they need to sacrifice each day or they're hanging around the wrong people. Mm, I love that. I, I think that my favorite thing about what you said there was you know, having an idea of where you want to go but then breaking it down all the way down to what am I going to do today? How am I going to win the day? So I think that people get caught up in the results. Like what do I want the result to be? And they forget about, okay, well, I just got to do this day in and day out and I can expect to see some different results 90 days from now. I can check in in 90 days and see things differently. But when we're just in such a hurry all the time, in fact, right before we got on this call, I made a post that said, I know you want to have, I know you want to achieve your goals yesterday. I get it, but slow down, be patient and take time. The goals will come to you faster than if you're in a hurry. I I see that all the time. People want the result now. They're so impatient. It's just not going to, it just doesn't work that way. They want the juice without the squeeze. And in this social media world, (laughs) that's a good way to say it. (laughs) In this social media world that we're in right now, the ads that sell and capture people's attention, as you and I know, are things like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and, you know, scantily clad people on these different things. Now, if that's your product, 
I don't have a problem with it, that's fine. But if you're selling someone a get-rich-quick scheme, there are no magic bullets in this life. It's by people comparing their happiness right now to the happiness that someone else enjoys. Yep. That's when you start saying to yourself, I will be happy if, I will be happy when, like I will be happy if I had that person's body or if I had that person's car or when I get that promotion or when I have this wife or husband. But instead, you need to start attaching happiness to the present by being present as much as you can. And it's just unfortunate with this social media world that we're in because most people use social media when they're vulnerable. Maybe they're commuting to or from work and they feel a bit lonely. Maybe they're sitting at home or they just want a distraction from a mundane day. But rarely would we use social media if we're you know, being present with our, with our family or on a fun date or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I never thought about that, that people are opening it up when they're alone. They're opening it up when they're bored or disengaged. It's not in those times. And even if they do use it during those exciting times, it's to, you know, take a quick picture, have a quick post, but it's not to consume. So it's, true. So it's consuming. True. You know, for me, like I consume a lot when I'm sitting by myself alone in airports you know, like stuff like that. Like, huh, like I've, I'm in some random city right now where I know, I mean, I might know a couple people from social media. Like, I'm, I mean, there might be people here I could connect with, but I've never actually seen them in real life. And uh, that's when I'm consuming media. That's a really good point. I think you're right about the whole thing that so many of these ads are around the idea that you can have success without working. If you use this trick, like that's it. Like every, not every, but most ads seem to be about, you can have success without having to do something if you use my system. That's right. And think about the ads that don't sell, the ads that you never see posted on Facebook and Instagram are simple and consistent action, simple and consistent action. No one's going to click on that. <laughs> it's, it's annoying. But it's and, so true though. That's the truth. The truth is simple and consistent action. For sure. But people won't buy that. On this Think and Grow Rich world tour that I'm on right now, I put up a slide and I say, how much, I say survey of the crowd. How much money do you think Americans spend on lottery tickets each year? And oh my uh, goodness, what is yeah, it? 73 million, 730 million or 7.3 billion. I asked the audience, which one do you think it is? Pretty much everyone puts up their hand for $7.3 billion. And then on the next slide, I reveal a hidden option D, which is $73 billion. That's how much money is spent on lottery tickets in this country every wow. single year. And when you factor in the odds of winning the lottery jackpot, it is one in 300 million and you are eight times more likely to be elected president than you are of winning lotto. People, <laughs> people are spending $73 billion Wait, a say year. That, say that quote again. You're eight times more likely to be elected president of the United States than you are of winning the lottery jackpot. But people wow. are spending $73 well, billion you- a year. You were born in Australia, so it's more okay. likely that you will be uh, more likely that you'll win. I married an American, and I'm now I'm a permanent resident, so I'm hanging out for a rule change at some stage. But yeah, uh, you never know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's that number is five times the amount of money that is spent on books each year. And have you ever read a book wow. that changed your life? I have pretty much. Absolutely. Every, yeah, for sure. Pretty much every book I read changes my life. But how many lottery tickets do you need to buy before you start to see a return on investment? 
So we 300 have, million, 300 sure. million is the, is right. That would be the, that would be the odds anyway. That's right. So here we, here we have this, we have this bit of a contradiction here. It's like, well, I can promise you an absolute guaranteed recipe and blueprint for success and happiness. It just requires you to come up with a comprehensive definition of what success looks like to you right now and in the future. And then we reinforce that with simple and consistent action. That's all it is. Or do you want to go and spend time, energy and money buying lottery tickets? That is an absolute guaranteed recipe for failure. But people choose that one every single time. So uh, wow. hopefully this, tour, this is what I'm doing to help people um, just be aware of some of the funny human behavior things that, uh, that happen. Well, what a great, uh, what a great analogy. What a great way of looking at that. That's incredible. So what's the biggest thing? I, that's a silly question to say the biggest thing. So why don't you just say, uh, how about I word it this way? What have you learned from this process of being involved with Think and Grow Rich, the legacy, being the author of the book, uh, working on the movie? What have you learned through this process? So much. I've completely changed just basically the way that I structure my day, how I structure my goals. Uh, I'm a lot more, I was always pretty careful about who I associated with, but now it's just, that is probably the biggest thing for me right now, like is just who I, who I hang around. I want to be surrounded by people who share my values and energies and have uh, ambitious plans for the future, but also want to give back and, and help people as well. Uh, but I think probably the biggest thing is that each day, if you do not make the decision to win, you have automatically made the decision to lose. That is where I got this whole win the day theme that I have for all of my branding. Because in this, in this modern world that we live in, with social media and TVs and Netflix and everything, it is so easy for people to feel like they're participating in life, especially on social media where everything comes with a like, a comment or a share button. People sit there and they scroll through the days rather than making the decision to engage with life and figure out what they want and working on their skills and making it happen. They think that if I was in that person's boots or had their advantages, that is when I would be a success, but I don't have their advantages. So I'm not even going to try when success, we realize now that success does not discriminate. It comes to all those who need, who do what needs to be done. It is the consistent application of a proven set of success principles the achievement philosophy, the 13 principles of think and grow rich that worked for everyone in the original think and grow rich. It worked for everyone in my new book, think and grow rich, the legacy, and it will work for you too. Success does not discriminate, but if you treat yourself like a victim, that is where of course you're not going to feel empowered to change your future. And when you have some type of, uh, relationship breakdown or you know we all know people who have been divorced and then they go through the rest of their life with a chip on their shoulder or a business partnership where they think well I'm never going to trust anyone again or I'm not even going to try well that is when you have accepted temporary failure as permanent defeat but if you look at it the right way temporary failure is what got every single person in my book some of them who were hit by trucks some of them who were told at the age of 17 that they would go totally and permanently blind that is what spurred them on to enormous success. And for people who don't believe me, the story of Jim Stovall, he is the guy at the age of 17 who was told he would go totally and permanently blind. So imagine that at the age of 17, your entire world fading to black. And he went on to be the founder of the Narrative Television Network, an actual TV network that provides programming solutions in more than a dozen countries around the world for blind and visually impaired people so they can enjoy media and video content um, the same way that other people can. And he's also the author of 30 best-selling books. And he hadn't written a single book before he was blind. 
Mm. So the most important opinion is how you feel about yourself. And above all, never, ever, ever let someone else who have given up on their dreams talk you out of going, uh, talk you out of giving up yours. Beautiful. What's a challenge in your life that has turned around and, and turned into a success? Probably the biggest one for me when I, when I was 23, I used to have these extremely debilitating issues with anxiety. It made it very, very difficult for me to be in a classroom and just a whole host of issues that, that really plagued me from the ages of about 15 until 23 when finally at absolute rock bottom, that is where you know I thought I was a, a completely dysfunctional human. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a good family in a good country like Australia. I had a good education. There was absolutely no reason why I couldn't achieve at least a moderate level of success. And that is what made it even harder, that juxtaposition between feeling like I had all those advantages and I couldn't even reach a certain baseline level uh, of success. And in that one moment, that was when I, had, when I was at absolute rock bottom. That is when I basically said, I'm not going to live like this anymore out of sheer disgust. And Jim Rowan said, disgust can be a very powerful emotion as it was for me that created that change. And in Success Magazine, the current issue with Rachel Hollis on the cover, I've got three, I think it's three or four pages in there where I tell that story about overcoming that anxiety, which has just given me that empathy for people in every situation who are trying to live with authenticity or try and live as their true self. Um, basically to let you know, to, to give you permission to live as yourself rather than trying to fit in for a, a box that someone else has for you. Mm, that's amazing. I, I think that that's so powerful to hear that the challenges really become our strengths. The challenges are what brings success. And I can see it in my life, not just once, but over and over and over again. Um, sometimes I feel like we need to be careful uh, careful what we pray for. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll pray for strength and, and pray for growth. And usually that strength and growth comes in, in the form of a challenge. And of course it does. That's just what's true in one area is true all over the place. And you don't get, you don't get stronger from lifting pillows. <laughs> it's so, it's so true. And people want to hide their vulnerabilities. And that's the difference. The people who live with their vulnerabilities like you and I do. We're very open about that. And that is what enables us to not only find our tribe, but build our tribe as well. And we're just naturally happier. I certainly am now after having gone through that whole process. I feel so much more comfortable in my own skin. But people who are so worried, they go through life worrying that someone is going to find out who the real you is. <laughs> what, a horrible way to, yeah. what a horrible way to live, but so many people do it. But instead, be upfront with your vulnerabilities. Whether you are an individual or a business, that is the single best way to establish trust and authenticity and, and real connection. Yeah. What did you do before you got involved with this book? What did, what did you do before this? Uh, I yeah grew up in Australia and I, I spent 10 years in financial planning. And I just, ever since I was young, I always had an issue being put into any type of, any type of box. And uh, then I moved over to Boston to study an MBA at an international business school that was uh, nine months in Boston and three months in Shanghai over in China. So that was a wow. pretty random mix of, mix of countries. But I I'd always had a dream to go and move over to the US because I don't know, I just wanted to get completely away from, from everything and just to prove that I could, that I could do it on my own basically. And, and basically starting from scratch, which is what happened. And 
had a, a number of entrepreneurial ventures in the interim, had a, one of the world's largest CrossFit gyms and an activewear company and a social media brand and a whole heap of different things. Uh, and then that is what led to the film and the book project. And uh, yeah, and here I am today. Well, wow, that's really cool. Um, is there anything that you would do differently about this book and about the movie uh, if you could start over from the beginning? Is there any, I think this is a really important question for people who are creating something, for people who are writing, for people who are making, uh, making movies and doing things like that. Now that you've done it, would you do anything differently going through it? No. And it's, it's a very, very, very good question because as creators, we want to, it's like the iPhone effect. You have to have a new phone that comes out every single September and it has to kick the ass off the last one that you had. Mm. But if you're, if you've got this one book, you can always look at different updates and, and things. And my very first book was called the beginner's guide to wealth. And in it, it mentioned Lance Armstrong. So of course there are little changes that if someone comes out as a drug cheat or anything like that, that you want to go and that you want to go and fix up. But I think as creators, we put that pressure on ourselves to do the best we can to a time constraint and then let that be what it is. And then just focus on the, on the next one. And a lot of people ask about um, achievements and like, Oh wow, it must feel great that you're a success and have this book out, but that doesn't, like, you know, being at the top of a mountain has never meant anything to me and it never will. It's all about, you know, the relationships along the way and focusing on what you can do to constantly level up and help add more and more value to people's lives. So I think just figuring out as you create more and more, just being conscious of what you can do in the future to be able to resonate with a larger audience is, is always a good thing to have in the back of your mind while still staying true to, to who you are and your message. Mm, that's great. So this podcast is specifically for speakers, authors, and coaches, both uh, experienced people in the industry and people who are just starting out. For the people who are just starting out, what advice, what advice would you give to them? Or maybe a better way to ask it might be, what advice would you give to yourself when you're just starting out? I think believing that you have everything that you need to succeed. People look at Lewis Howes or Gary Vaynerchuk or whoever it might be and just think, oh, wow, they've had all these different advantages that I don't have. But they are the first to tell you that they like it's 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 amazing that these sometimes not being academically gifted. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us feel I certainly did when I performed poorly on a standardized test. We attach our sense of self-worth to that which is a horrible thing to do. You just need to figure out what your gifts are. And sometimes not being very strong academically means that you are more likely to take action because you don't evaluate risk as stringently as other people. Mm-hmm. Because those who can think about every single reason as to why you shouldn't do something, that leads to inaction. But if you can think of just one reason as to why something will work and then you go all in to manufacture that success at the end of it, then that is what you need to do. And that is how you can prove people wrong. So I think believing you have it and then just giving yourself a really strong foundation of value because people want to uh, proclaim that they're experts and they're featured in a million different publications and done all this stuff, but do the work first as we, you know, which I guess takes us a little bit back to what we said toward the start, be proud to put in that work each day, knowing that your time will come, have that, have that patience because it is ridiculous amounts of purposeful action and just adding value and working on yourself over time, the, the path to you will be revealed. And that is certainly what happened to me. And I would hazard a guess it's what happened for you as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And what you said there really resonated with me because, you know, very much like Lewis Howes, like Gary Vaynerchuk, I, 
struggled in school. School was something that was not easy at all for me and, and just really did not thrive in that world whatsoever. And um, didn't start to succeed until I dropped that, until I dropped that meaning that came along with it. Cause there was so much meaning around it. Like I'm not capable and I'm stupid and I'm not able to do things. And it wasn't until I started to see the things that were my disadvantages as my strengths. And now I see, just like you said about the evaluation and the action, I can't tell you how often I tell my clients, well, just do it. Just, just take action. It's not like, let's just do it and then see what happens. Like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I'm like, what about it? Just, just do it. Just take action. For sure. If you're, if you want to have a thriving coaching business, the best way to increase your skills at doing that is to get on some coaching calls and actually, you know, have that one-on-one time with someone or have a Facebook group or interact with other people who are coaches. So that way you can learn more about people's problems and help you come up with your value ladder of, of products that you can create. But it'll also give you a better way to you know, if you've had 10 coaching calls and you haven't had a single conversion, if they're just discovery calls, that is, then you know that you have an issue with articulating your value or closing the person because there's a bit of a, a nasty connotation around sales. But if you have an amazing product that you know can make an enormous impact positively on someone's life, but you can't sell it to them, well, it's not their fault. It's your fault. You need to get better at doing that. So I, I am constantly reading uh, books from people who are where I want to be in these areas or, you know, in groups or just always leveling up and leveling up and leveling up. Um, but if you think you already have all the knowledge and you enable ego to get in the way, then you're in big trouble because you're just not going to advance. You might feel uh, satisfied yourself and it might look good on your Instagram with your 800,000 fake followers. <laughs> But if you have that, uh, that authentic connection and you're able to really start to uh, build value and, and really help change people's lives, I think that's the most important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's such a great way of looking at things. Share with us some fun stories in this whole process. I'm sure as you, you, know, you worked with a team here, you got to talk to all these different uh, people with their great stories. What are some of the fun experiences that happen along the path of writing this book and making this movie it's it's been a really a roller coaster like any any big venture anything worth doing it always has its its highs and lows i think the biggest thing for me was just the it's not really from a comedic aspect but just having the relationships of people like janine shepherd and brandon adams and john shin and a whole heap of other david Meltzer and so many other people from this book the opportunity to spend time with them and going to rob deerdeck's penthouse office in beverly hills just to kick it with him for two hours, just the two of us in his, in his massive office. Um, you know, a guy who's got like 4 million followers and is on about eight different TV shows. It's just a quite a surreal experience. But the, the ones I love the most were people like the Janine Shepard, who was the Australian skier who was hit by a truck. Uh, and Jim Stovall, who was the story I mentioned earlier, the one who was blind. These are the ones that just um, made me more empathetic to the struggles that all of us had. And there, there is always someone who is worse off than you and taking the time to understand someone else's position before trying to advance your own. I think it was Stephen Covey who said, seek first to understand and then be understood. And it's just in this world, we want to dictate to other people the way things should be. 
Um, but, you know, having that opportunity to learn more about someone else, it's just, you know, really is an absolute no brainer um, to do from a sales perspective, but a relationships perspective and just being a, a good human. So there were many, many fun times throughout this, this whole journey and going out to the Napoleon Hill Foundation in, in Virginia and, and premieres and VIP screenings and now this tour. So a whole heap of different things, but it's been, uh, been great. That's awesome. What about some of the challenges? You mentioned that when you're talking about that. And I think that people see big projects and they just go, oh, wow, that must have been easy. I don't know. They just think like, well, you're a part of this team, so it must have been easy. And it's never that way. So what were some of the challenges? Oh, challenges nonstop. I think just trying to get big names to the project. And then it was like, as soon as more and more people heard about it, they, you know, it's the Think and Grow Rich movie. Everyone just wanted to be a part of it. So then we had to extend production to try and fit in these big people, but we only had the rights from the foundation for a certain amount of time. So trying to balance the deadline with getting the right cast members attached to the project and then being able to fund those, you know, what is the everything along the way to fund the production. So People like Brandon Adams helped us raise more than $400,000 for this film to help do that. So there were constant challenges. And then for me, as author of the book, which was really my baby, and uh, trying to get in touch with all these people who have got super busy schedules and then trying to conduct an interview where they knew that I really took, well, basically where they could trust me and they trusted me enough to tell their story and then having that sense of duty to make sure I, I didn't stuff up any of the, the details. Um, of course, that would be a big one if you have this book that goes to print and you've got a, a lot of errors and things through it. So, uh, and not to mention, you know, every single story that you write has to be engaging and captivating while um, creating a modern companion to the best-selling self-help book of all time. It was just a... Yeah, I tried not to overthink the whole process. It was very much in the trenches, like just one foot in front of the other. Let's just make sure every step is as good as we can do it rather than trying to get too caught up with the whole process of what was going on. Ah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, We're coming to a close here. And before we end, I want to hear, how can people get connected with you? Yeah, you can check me out on Instagram at James Witt, J-A-M-E-S-W-H-I-T-T. Uh, my website's also jameswitt.com or send me an email to info at jameswitt.com. And if I can help out in any way, I will. Sounds good. I love it. I, I, I love that. I mean, what a, what a personal way of connecting with you. I think that's fantastic. Um, what are the last words of wisdom or piece of, pieces of advice you have for the listeners of the podcast, for the members of the speakers, authors, and coaches network, what is your, your, uh, your parting advice for them? I think the, the big one that really changed everything for me is that each day, if you do not make the decision to win, you have automatically made the decision to lose. So when you wake up and you say, all right, what work do I need to do today? And if you've completed something like a success plan, the number one productivity tip that no one ever talks about is being inspired because when you're inspired, it doesn't matter how many hours of sleep you've had the night before. It doesn't matter how much money is in your pocket. It doesn't matter how expensive your laptop is. You wake up and you get after it. And the only way to be inspired by the hero of your own story is to be clear on how that story ends. So start by completing that story and then backtracking to what work do you need to do in the next 90 days to make all that happen? So that's really the, the big thing, being the hero of your own story and be proud to win the day, put in that simple and consistent action that's going to get you where you need to be. 
Mm, love that. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, well, it's been absolutely a pleasure. Everyone should go out and get the book. Where's the best way to get the book? Amazon's probably the best. It's available as audiobook, ebook, and hardcover. So just uh, type in Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy, and you'll, uh, you'll grab it. Well, I would highly recommend everyone going and getting a copy of the book, going and checking out the movie. And um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming here, being so open, discussing your success, and discuss, discussing some of the challenges that have come along the way. Thank you very much, James. Thanks so much for having me, Jake. Thank you so much for listening to the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, and most importantly, share it with somebody who needs this information. If you're not already a part of our Facebook community, come and join us in the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches network at facebook.com slash groups slash speaker, author, coach, or simply search the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches network. Thanks again for listening. Remember, what you do matters. You can turn your dreams into your reality. Together, we are changing the world one message at a time.